following is a presentation of the Retro Network. A thousand people freezing their butts off waiting to worship a rat. Weatherman Phil Connors is spending the day in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. Phil? Ned! Ned Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Bing! But Phil's about to find out. He's not just stuck in Puxatawney. Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? Chance of departure today, 100%. He's stuck... Groundhog Day! In Groundhog Day. I'm reliving the same day over and over. Bill? Ned Ryerson? Bang! Do you ever have deja vu, Mrs. Lancaster? I don't think so, but I could check with the kitchen. Well, it's Groundhog Day. Again? At first, he was a little anxious. Bill? What? Will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? I'd say the chance of departure is 80%. But now, we could do whatever we want. <laughs> He's discovering the possibilities. Don't you worry about cholesterol? Why? And living life mm. like there's Phil? no tomorrow. Phil Connors! Ned! Because... There isn't. I am an immortal. I have been stabbed, shot, burned, frozen, electrocuted. I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god. I'm not the god. He's out of his gourd. But to get what his heart wants most... What are you looking for, Phil? A date for the weekend? ...means living this day over again, <laughs> till he gets it right. Believe it or not, I studied 19th century French poetry. <laughs> what a waste of time. I study 19th century French poetry. La fille qui j'aimera. You speak French. Oui. Bill Murray. Andy McDowell. To the groundhog. I always drink to world peace. Well, what should we drink to? I like to say a prayer and drink to world peace. Don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. Be okay. Yes! Life has a funny way of repeating itself. What did you do today? Oh, same old, same old. Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We have a wonderful evening's entertainment lined up for you, one that will provide several hours of pleasurable relaxation and diversion for you and your family. There are always wonderful new pictures to see, delightful snacks to nibble, a gay, pleasant evening for all. We hope you have a wonderful time. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime! Welcome back to the Retro Network Drive-In Campers. Thank you for being here for tonight's screening. Set your FM dial on your car radio and visit our concession stand now to get yourself ready for the beginning of the movie. Now playing! Again, is the 1993 comedy film Groundhog Day, starring Bill Murray. Your hosts for the evening. First, uh, she lives near Atlanta, but she never drives angry. It's Karen. Hi, Karen. Hi. <laughs> it's so easy to drive angry in Atlanta. I know as uh, personal experience there. So. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. We have what we call the ballet on the overpass when I'm going into work. Because uh -huh. the cars will just kind of swerve between the lanes and 
And sometimes here, for some reason lately, directional signals seem to be optional. I, I don't know <laughs> when that happened, but I did not get the memo on that. Yeah, it's not just in your state. Trust me on that one. Yeah, oh, good. that's one of my biggest pet peeves. All right, our next host. He has life insurance, but he could always use a little more. It's old school Tim. Hey, Tim. Hey, how are you guys doing? Doing good. Glad you are here. And our final host, he inspires people by just seeing his advanced years and just throws caution to the wind. That is Gary. Greetings from the snowy Rocky Mountains. It's cold, <laughs> it's gray, and it's going to last the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, I am sorry to hear that. Uh, although <laughs> us here in the South, we would love to see some snow. So you can shovel some this way. How about that? Ooh. <laughs> Have some of ours. <laughs> my, my nieces would love it. I had enough a couple weekends ago. When it comes on Saturday or Sunday, that's great. But when it comes in the middle during the work week, no thank you. Yeah, yeah, we don't have the uh, salt trucks and all that stuff down here to, to get rid of it quickly. But anyway, uh, thank you guys for joining us. You got Jason here. And uh, as I always say, we are spoiling the crap out of this movie tonight. So. If you have not seen Groundhog Day, you might just want to stick around and see what it's all about. It's uh, almost a 30-year-old movie and uh, well-beloved by all, I believe. But uh, I want to just go around the room here before we uh, start screening the movie and uh, tell me how old of a movie is this for you? When was the first time you watched it? What about you, Karen? I know I saw it in the theater. I don't remember who I saw it with. I want to say for some reason I saw it with my brother, which kind of makes sense because he was there for the stunts and the really silly stuff. <laughs> and I like that, but I also really like the romance plot. I do remember the theater that we were going to at that time was an AMC with an arcade next door. And we would um, call home on the payphone and, and wait in the arcade uh, <laughs> for our ride after the movie. Oh, payphones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's one in the movie. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's a good way to date yourself. Start talking about uh, <laughs> pay phones. Anyway, uh, Tim, what about you? I saw it probably within the first week or two. It was released back in 93. I was uh, in college at the time. And um, I believe I saw it with my now wife, who was not my wife at the time. But I believe <laughs> we saw it on uh, we saw quite a few movies back then, so uh -huh. I, I uh, remember seeing it, but not anything more specific than that. Okay. And Gary? Yeah, the same. I saw it in the movie theater when it came out, probably that first weekend. Um, only one time in the theater, and then after that, it's been like rentals or watching it on TV. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I have no recollection of which theater or who I even went with. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think that myself. Uh, I do have a small collection of movie stubs that i saved uh, ticket stubs from back around that time i dug through it last night and couldn't find groundhog day but i'm pretty certain i did see it in the theater but i don't have any specific memories uh, otherwise i do remember we actually owned it on vhs at one point but we probably rented it as well my mom was a big bill murray fan loved what about bob i think that was her favorite <laughs> Yeah. And I remember kind of going back and forth between these movies uh, when she was in the Bill Murray mood to <laughs> throw one of these on. So, yeah, it was a uh, pretty early on that I saw it. And uh, 
any traditional viewings for you guys? Do you typically bust it out on Groundhog Day, Karen? Um, if I can get to it, uh, if the DVR isn't too full. Um, <laughs> for some reason, I seem to remember a couple years ago, I think AMC might have been running it kind of like TNT runs the Christmas story on Groundhog Day. But I'm not sure if that's <laughs> accurate or not. But yeah, if it's on uh, cable or something like that, we'll, we'll put it in the DVR and, and watch it. But uh, last night, I was very pleasantly surprised to find out that Amazon Prime had it on sale. So yeah. you could rent it for $1.49 or you could buy it for $10.49. And I bought it in case I had time to watch it again this evening, which I unfortunately did not. So... <laughs> Yeah, I uh, actually rented it last night, too. The SD version, just the standard definition, was only 99 cents. So the oh, cheapo wow. that I am, I had a, <laughs> actually a couple bucks of uh, digital credit on Amazon. And so I didn't even have to pay for it. But I thought we had the DVD. I was scrounging through my collection and could not find it. Uh, so that's going to have to be one I add to my digital collection. What about you, Tim? Do you break it out on Groundhog Day? Um, no, not specifically. I think um, I own the DVD and own the VHS previous to that. Um, I watch it anytime I come across it on TV or something. That's one that I'll stop and at least watch it for a little while. Mm -hmm. And uh, But not any annual viewing or anything. Okay. What about you, Gary? No, I haven't watched it in... It's probably been five or more years since I've watched it. And I watched it last night so we could do this podcast. And uh, <laughs> I realized I should watch it more often. It was a good movie. Enjoy, enjoyed it a lot. Well, yeah, it's uh, probably one of my favorite of the whole decade. I would say it's probably in my top 10 of the 90s. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's such a movie. Well, we'll get into it, but I like it just because it makes you think. There's a few movies like that, not typically rom-coms, but... It just makes you think, and I've always been intrigued by it. So uh, let's go into a little bit of the development of the movie, because there's some interesting stuff here and uh, how the movie was first conceptualized and then uh, as it got into the development process. So writer Danny Rubin conceived the film in 1990 while waiting in a theater for a film to start. He was reading Anne Rice's book, The Vampire Lestat, and Rubin began musing about the uh, vampires, their immortality, and what you would do uh, with their time if you know if you were limitless. There, so he uh, reasoned that the vampires were like normal people who do not need to adhere to ordinary rules or moral boundaries. And he questioned if and when immortality would become boring or pointless. So he's using kind of those. Uh, vampire characteristics there and was thinking about immortality so this is how it all kind of started so he just uh recently sold his first script which would later be turned into the thriller hear no evil in 1993 uh, but his agent prompted him to develop like a spec script which is just a not a full script but just something you can get to uh, meetings with you know producers and kind of pitch it so uh he eventually did that he got into several meetings and it came to the attention of harold ramus who also directed and co-wrote the screenplay with ruben and it was uh ramus's version that kind of attracted murray to the project so through uh murray and ramus they actually immediately clashed over the tone like murray wanted it to be more dark 
Ruben's version was actually more dark, not this kind of rom-com love story that we have. And that all came from Harold Ramis. So even throughout the like initial development, they were kind of going back and forth, even Ramis and, and Ruben going back and forth, which I thought was interesting. But, you know, once they sold it and Columbia came on board, they kind of leaned towards Harold Ramis's vision because they thought audiences would enjoy that more than really getting dark with it. And it's got a, a few of those little things as we'll get into, you know, throughout the movie where like the, what he was talking about with those boring little <laughs> stretches of time, if you are immortal, what are you going to be doing with those? And, you know, messing with people. <laughs> so uh, the principal photography took place from March to June, 92. And it was almost entirely in Woodstock, Illinois, not even close to Punxsutawney. The shoot was mired with tensions. Like I said, Bill Murray is actually going through a divorce to the whole production of that. And reportedly he was miserable throughout filming and he was demonstrating erratic behavior as they're between takes. And uh, I read something that maybe from uh, Stephen Toblowski said that he went into a donut shop and bought like a bunch of donuts and was like throwing them at the fans and stuff that were nearby. I mean, it was weird stuff like that. I was like, wow. But you know, I don't, I've never gone through a divorce, so I'm sure there's some <laughs> stuff you got to take care of. And while you're trying to work at the same time, I can kind of understand some of that. But anyway, this movie really was what kind of drove a wedge between Bill Murray and Harold Ramis for years. And a lot of, this is just kind of my speculation and what I've been reading. Uh, a lot of Murray's success was tied to Harold Ramis. So I think he kind of resented that. He wanted to kind of do his own thing. And just the, the bickering over the scripts and stuff, they didn't speak for nearly two decades after they made this movie. And it was only like right before Harold Ramis passed away that they reunited and having a friendship again. So I thought that was really interesting. I had not remembered that that was the case. And like I was saying, how he was tied to Harold Ramis, Bill Murray then started doing some of these films like Rushmore and uh, other more serious roles after this movie, really, and kind of explored that part of his career. But that was a little kind of the behind the scenes and development of the picture. Of course, let's go through the cast and crew here. Bill Murray as Phil Connors, of course. We'll talk a little bit more about his career a little bit later in the show, but, you know, Stripes, Ghostbusters, Caddyshack, a lot of great comedies in the 80s. And even, like I said, what about Bob? And then on to some voice work with Garfield and all that stuff. So he uh, he's had a pretty long career. Andy McDowell as Rita Hansen. I had not watched, I don't know if I've watched any of these other movies that she's more notable for. Four Weddings and a Funeral. Green card, sex lies, and videotape. Yeah, I looked up uh, movies she was in. I think I've seen maybe two movies she was in besides this one. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, she had won yeah. some awards or at least was nominated. I know for four weddings and a funeral and sex lies and videotape, but I've I've never watched those. Yeah, she was also in um, Saint Elmo's Fire, Multiplicity. That's, in Multiplicity, yes. Yeah, and, I saw that one. I've seen uh, that. One. Magic Mike uh, XXL. Oh, really? Okay. Tell, tell us all about that one, Karen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll keep moving along. How about Chris Elliott <laughs> as uh, Larry the cameraman? 
of course, uh, from Cabin Boy. I do remember watching that movie several times when that first hit, more or less a rental. And then he had his own series called Get a Life. Did uh, you guys connect with any of those? I never saw Cabin Boy. Sorry, Tim. But uh, I think his, I haven't seen hardly any Chris Elliott movies, but the role I love him in is in Shit's Creek. He's the yes. mayor of the town or whatever. Yeah. I remember him in um, There's Something About Mary. He played uh, Woogie. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Forgot about that. Didn't he have his own, was it the Chris Elliott show or something like that back in the 90s, too? Or his own little sitcom type show? Yeah, I think, I think that, that was the Get a Life. Yeah. Okay. But another thing is, he was a Saturday Night Live cast member for a while. And when George Clooney hosted, he was uh, An- the Anthony Edwards character in their ER parody. <laughs> That's funny. They had him in the the mock-up of the opening. They had him leaning back in the in, in the rolling chair, like almost like he was gonna fall out of the chair. <laughs> I forgot he was on SNL for a while. Uh, okay, uh, how about Stephen? I can never say his name right, but Tubalowski. Okay, Stephen Tubalowski as Ned Ryerson. Um, <laughs> I love him as the principal on the Goldbergs. Yeah. Uh, currently he's also been in uh, Deadwood I have not seen that Heroes he was in the old show One Day at a Time anything else you guys know him for I don't know anytime I see him though I I just think of Ned Ryerson so even in the Goldbergs I think he's he's good in that (laughs) but every time I see it all I'm thinking about is Ned Uh yep good old Ned of course uh, I, I, I liken him to Clint Howard Brian Doyle Murray Bill Murray's brother is in a lot of his uh, pictures, but he's there as Buster Green. The uh, I guess he's the mayor of the town as well in the movie, but he's the the head uh, groundhog handler there, <laughs> and the, the one that saves him. You know when he's choking too, when uh, he goes into the restaurant there and and during his uh, final day, uh, Maria Garati. I'm, I hope I'm saying that she's Nancy Taylor in the movie mainly had small roles in uh, movies and TV. She was in sleeping with the enemy, Don Juan DeMarco, and actually in an episode of Seinfeld as well. Uh, also Angela Patton as Mrs. Lancaster. She's the, the caretaker there at the bed and breakfast. She played the grandma in American wedding. You all have seen that. I have not. And then lots of guest appearances on television shows, uh, late 80s, early 90s, mainly. One of my favorite uh, unsung heroes in the acting world is Rick Ducommon as Gus, one of the uh, locals <laughs> there. I love him in The Burbs. Yep. Um, yeah. Lots of little bit parts throughout the 80s in Die Hard, Gremlins 2, Spaceballs, and then the Fred Savage movie, Little Monsters. He's all... Uh, doctored up there in the monster garb if you guys have seen that one he's the one of the more main villains in that one but uh i just love him he's like a poor man's john candy to me you know (laughs) and then robin duke as uh doris the waitress there she was actually on snl in the early 80s and she has a recurring role on schitt's creek so um and then this was a fun little fact. I ended up throwing it up here in the cast. Michael Shannon made his film debut in this movie. He's the uh, groom, Fred, 
in that <laughs> kind of uh, end uh, scene there. He was uh, General Zod in Superman, Man of Steel. And then he was also in the, the series Boardwalk Empire. He's been in a lot of movies in the last, you know, I'd say 10, 10 to 15 years. So that is our cast of the movie. Now let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the like legacy and cultural impact of the movie. And I've wrote down a few things here, but also want to get your take, you know, as far as the uh, the legacy of the movie and watching it over the years. But since the film's release, Woodstock, Illinois has hosted its own Groundhog Day festivals. So these have included uh, their own little groundhog, Woodstock Willie. <laughs> They've held screenings of the film. There's walking tours of the filming locations. And the town attracts approximately a thousand tourists for its event each year, which has featured appearances by Albert Rubin and uh, Tobolowsky. They've all been there for their little festivals. Punxsutawney, which once drew only a few hundred visitors to its festival, has since attracted tens of thousands. And the year following the film's release in 1994, over 35,000 people visited Punxsutawney for Groundhog Day. That's incredible. (laughs) So... It, Have you been there? You're from that area, aren't you? Yes, yes. I was going to get to that. But um, okay. since the movie was not filmed there, I guess they appealed to have some of the scenes filmed there. But it was ultimately ruled that it wasn't, you know, very cinematic, I guess. And I've been to Punxsy and it's not. Yeah, it's not very cinematic. Trust me. But it's fun. They It really helped their whole festival and, and boost that up over the years. But yeah, my mom actually, when she uh, entered assisted living and, uh, and nursing care, she started out there in Punxsy and she was there for four or five years. So when we would go home in the summertime, we would visit her there and I had never taken a field trip or anything really to Punxsutawney. I just kind of gone through and passing. So it wasn't until she was there that we decided to take the whole family and go check out Gobbler's Knob and where they hold the whole thing. And it's it's kind of outside of town. It's not in the town like it's depicted in the movie. And it's probably because more people are there now and they needed more space. But there's like a stage that they have. And I have my uh, some pictures of my kids knocking on the little stump, you know, <laughs> that they have left out there. And then you can meet Phil. He's, uh, they keep him in the library downtown. He's got his own little habitat there. And there's huge glass window from the outside that you can view or you can go inside and and see him there. I don't know if they actually let you pet him or anything, but I have seen Phil and the last time I was there, which has been, I don't know, probably five or six years ago, they had little groundhog statues all over town at businesses of a groundhog dressed up like whatever, like if he was uh, at the pharmacy, he's in kind of that white coat. And if it's at a, you know, food place, he's eating something, you know, it was pretty neat. It's kind of like what they do in uh, Dothan, Alabama for their peanut festival. And they have these peanuts all over town <laughs> dressed up like uh, little characters and things like that. But so, yes, I, I have been there. And like I said, it's, I can see why they filmed it elsewhere. <laughs> so uh, another part of the legacy is really, it's uh, was selected for the, uh, the United States Library of Congress to be preserved in the National Film Registry. So that was in 2006 that that was entered. And then <laughs> one of my favorite things as far as like legacy things goes of the movie was the Super Bowl commercial a couple years mm-hmm. ago. Do you guys remember this? For yep. Jeep, 
where they like created a bunch of the scenes. It was actually filmed on the, some of the locations there in Woodstock. So uh, I went back and watched that last night and just got a kick out of it. I remember that being like, this commercial has won this year's Super Bowl. It's so great. <laughs> and the Super Bowl was played on Groundhog Day that year. So how can you, uh, yeah. how can you go wrong? And whenever I hear uh, I Got You, Babe, now I think of that song. Yeah, I think of that absolutely. Bill Murray is waking up now. <laughs> I would say, uh, I'm not sure if you're going to mention this, but one of the legacies to me is it's almost become a description of, a you know, when you have that bad thing happening over and over again. And on top of that, the actual dictionary definition of Groundhog Day they have February 2nd when the groundhog checks a shadow. Mm-hmm. And then it also says a situation in which a series of unwelcome or tedious events appear to be recurring in exactly the same way. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> the definition of the groundhog day has been changed by the movie and, and almost changed the meaning of it. Yeah. Introduced the new term into our speech. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's like groundhog's day. I say it when I get the same faxes for the same patients over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll agree on the song. Anytime I hear the song on the radio or commercials or anything, I mean, you immediately go there. Exactly. As so, noted too, anytime I hear I got you, babe, I automatically think <laughs> of that. And I see now that uh, Funko has picked up uh, Groundhog Day and they have the Funko Pops. There's even a game, like a board game out now that I've seen in stores that you can buy. So uh, I wonder if that plays the same way over and over again. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, Might get a little repetitive. You might think Monopoly's bad. You know, you get down to the end of that, that might be like, oh, I got to do this over again. Whatever. I don't know. I've never, uh, never played it. But all right. So let's talk about the original release now. And uh, was released February 12th, 1993. Some kind of cultural things that was going on around that time. A couple of days before is uh, when Oprah hosted a primetime special interviewing Michael Jackson, who was also the Super Bowl halftime show that year, uh, which was a pretty big deal. Lots of big ratings for that show. Soon after, a couple weeks after, we had the 35th uh, Grammy Awards. And this is where Eric Clapton won. Six uh, out of nine nominations, he won six awards that night for Tears in Heaven. And then uh, right at the end of February, there was two major, major news events that happened. The 26th of February was the World Trade Center bombing. And then two days later, the 28th was the Waco siege. So huge news events right at the end of February in 93 that a lot of people, I know I was too, kind of glued to CNN and all the news networks of what's going on. And I think the Waco thing, they even had live and hours of live coverage for that thing. Just remember it being on TV. Yeah. 24-7. All day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Other films released the same week as Groundhog Day. There's a film called Untamed Heart starring Christian Slater, Marissa Tomei, Rosie Perez, story of a young man unlucky in love who finds true love and a eventually finds true love. He's a was a very shy young man, I guess is the uh, kind of the plot of the movie. Any of you guys seen Untamed Heart? Yeah, I think I saw it. I vaguely remember uh, the movie. Mm-hmm. I know I would have went and seen it because Marissa Tomei was in it. So 
<laughs> I was thinking bucks. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I think Karen might have went to see it for Christian Slater. Right, I yeah. think she's a pretty Christian um, Slater. I think I waited fan. until it was on video. Did you? Okay. Yeah, because I think there was something involving like a like a heart transplant or something like that. And I had trouble with like a lot of medical stuff. Uh-huh. I thought it was a so heart transplant. I didn't want to pass out in the theater. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a heart transplant too, but I, I think that's a different movie that came out around the same time. Okay. But I'm not sure. I'd have to look up the plot of that one. The other movie that came out that same week was called The Temp, which starred Timothy Hutton, Laura Flynn Boyle, Faye Dunaway, Oliver Platt, Stephen Weber, and Dwight Schultz. The plot follows a troubled businessman whose life is upturned after the arrival of a mysterious female temp worker in his office. I don't think I've ever seen that one. Anybody seen that one? The Temp? I believe I saw it, but I I know it wasn't in the theater, and it probably might have been somewhere there in the mid-90s, and I probably haven't seen it since. Yeah, I think I've seen it, too. It was a rental for me. Well, I guess Laura Flynn Boyle was kind of popular at the time with Twin Peaks going on. I think she was in Twin mm-hmm. Peaks. So, yeah, we would have went or at least rented Wayne's that world one. too. She was uh, oh, yeah. girl on the bicycle. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and you were right, Karen. Untamed Heart is the one with the heart transplant. Yeah. And also, I think I was out of my Christian Slater phase at that time because the Christian Slater thing was mostly my freshman year of high school because at lunch, I sat with this group of girls who were obsessed with like Heathers and Pump Up the Volume <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> and that was when Cups was coming out. And Cuffs was fun because he was just kind of saying silly things and being, you know, wisecracking, you know, like I kind of yeah, thought of it a, as like Ferris, if Ferris Bueller were, you know, uh-huh. going into the police force. I think it was his first comedic role. Okay. All right. Uh, well, let's move on to the uh, kind of box office and home video stats here. And uh, we always asked, did it have a buzz or maybe fly under the radar? I don't know if it had a buzz, but this is kind of peak Bill Murray stardom, I would think. So uh, I'm sure it was uh, at least uh, marketed that way to get people in the theaters because it it did have a pretty big uh, opening. So I don't remember. Do you guys remember any anything leading up to it? Like you're very excited to go watch the movie or. Uh, anything like that to me just having bill murray and it was enough for me at the time i was a big fan of his and just any movie he was going to be in was going to be one that was going to be on the top of my list so other than that i don't remember any other special promotion or anything he just come off um what about bob was a year or two before that which was a pretty popular movie too so right that he gave this movie a, a good push to get people in the yeah theaters. yeah i mean his like I said, I, I think it was his uh, stardom that was really at the peak of its time and anything that he was in that people were fans of, they were going to go see his latest thing. So uh, the box office, it was the second biggest opening weekend in February behind Wayne's World, which was the year before. So it was uh, number one for two weeks before being bumped down to number two by falling down starring Michael Douglas. That was a pretty good movie. That was a good uh, movie. And it, Groundhog Day stuck around in theaters until about the end of May. The total amount earned at the domestic box office was just over $71 million, 
on a budget of 14.6. So was uh, pretty much a success. And it was number 14 overall in 1993. And then the VHS came in early September, debuted at number 11, and then eventually rose to number one by the end of September, replacing Falling Down, which kicked it out of the number one in the theater. And it was number one there until about mid-October when it was knocked off by Aladdin, yeah. of course. And Disney release on video back then was was huge. The earliest DVD release of Groundhog Day was around 98. There is a uh, special edition DVD from 2002, which had the film's trailers. There's audio commentary by Harold Ramis. And there's also a behind-the-scenes documentary, which is on YouTube, called The Weight of Time. And I'll link to that in the show notes if you want to kind of get some behind-the-scenes talk there with uh, most of the cast. Uh, actually, Bill Murray, he pretty much checked out once the, the filming was done. Like, he didn't come to the premiere, which we'll talk about, and he didn't do any of these little uh, these commentaries or anything after the fact. So there is a 15th anniversary DVD that was out there in 2008, and... They've done some remastering actually under Ramus's supervision since then. So there are some deleted scenes out there too. I, I'll link to those. There's one video in particular on YouTube that I saw that had a bunch of them in there. And those have been released to DVD and Blu-ray. So uh, there's one release. It's a Blu-ray release in 2009, which has a feature with a picture in picture of uh Tobolowski reprising his role as Ned and providing facts about the film. So it's almost like a pop-up video with Ned Ryerson. That's sweet. <laughs> I need to find that. So find the Blu-ray from 2009 and that would be fun to watch, I think, having him pop up and <laughs> tell you little facts about the movie. So, And then just uh, a few years ago, uh, February 2018, for the 25th anniversary they did a uh, 4K release, and then it was actually released to theaters for a while, uh, a couple of days at least, that I saw uh, in its box office total during that time. So that uh, brings us back around to the uh, critical reviews of the movie, and it's still pretty high, higher than uh, First Blood that we covered on the last drive-in, 97% by the critics and 88% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes which is pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty high. I don't know if there's a many that would be higher on a critic rating. 97%. It's just insane to me. Uh, generally positive reviews after it was first released. Hal Hinson of the Washington Post called it the best American comedy since 1982's Tootsie, which <laughs> Bill Murray was actually in. And then uh, Roger Ebert compared it to Murray's Christmas comedy Scrooged which featured a similar transformation from selfish to selfless is what he said. He said that where that film offered a grim discontent, Groundhog Day offered optimism at the end. And Gene Siskel also said that Andy McDowell lit up the screen when she was on. So they both gave it two thumbs up. Didn't have any uh, nominations as far as the major awards like Oscars or Golden Globes, but it did win a BAFTA award, which is the British Academy for writing best original screenplay for Ruben and Ramis. And then uh, Andy McDowell won the award for best actress at the 20th Saturn awards, which is the sci-fi awards, which is funny to me. 
because it, it's got both of those elements. He's got the rom-com and it's got the almost sci-fi or mystical angle almost. Anyway. All right. Well, we have gotten through the uh, awards that it won. Now it's time to do our drive-in awards. And we'll just throw out nominations and we'll all choose an award to give out to the movie. So we start with our favorite scene in the movie. Karen, give me a scene that you really enjoy in Groundhog Day. Uh, the part where he kidnaps the groundhog. Oh, don't drive angry. <laughs> yeah. But there's another scene that I really like because I kind of did a funny one and a serious one. Uh-huh. And um, the other scene I really like is when Phil and Rita are in bed together and he's talking to her while she's dozing off. And I think that scene is really, they're really sweet together there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a couple moments that they have together like that romantically that you could tell that they connected or they they chose the right people to cast there. Tim, what's the scene for you? There's several of them, and some of them are long kind of uh-huh. compilations. But to me, my one of my favorites, I guess, maybe my favorite, is the first time he finally tells Rita what's going on with him. And mm-hmm. um, it starts off with the, um, I'm not the God. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, a God. A God, kind of yeah. Thing. And then he proceeds to tell the story of all the people there and kind of prove to her that he's been in this loop and, and knows everything. Um, this is Doris and this is the, the couple, the engaged couple. And he introduces her around and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I just love that whole thing. And then he says, okay, you're going to drop a tray of dishes and counts it down. And then the dishes drop and then she kind of believes him. I, that's one of my favorite scenes. About you, Gary. Uh, I like when he, the first time he meets uh, Ned Ryerson, when he comes yeah. running at him on the, on the sidewalk. It's yeah. me. Needle knows Ned. Ned the head. <laughs> the guy's just crazy. I love, I love that. I yeah. did the whistling belly button trick. And that's right. Stop. What are you doing now? Did you take that belly button thing, bro? Bro? Yeah. <laughs> that's a great line. One that I like is just, I guess it's the third day. It's the after he smashes the car the night before and he's in jail and he wakes up and he's just, yes. And he starts, oh, it's getting cold outside. Better get your booties on. And he starts reciting everything and he knows what they're going to say in the hallway and downstairs. And he's, he's really upbeat, you know, and he's like, oh, I can just do whatever the heck I want now. Yeah, it's so, a big kiss on the on the old lady that yes, takes care yeah, of the house. Yeah, I just love that whole sequence there. Any others there, Karen? Um, no, I think that's it. Okay, Tim. A couple other ones. One is one where he ends up stealing the money outside the bank, where he's kind <laughs> of had that there, one and down. he's just like yep. going. A gust of wind, the dog barks, and he's like counting it all down, and then he just counts it down as he walks up and grabs the the bag yeah. um i love that one and then another one i really like is at the end when uh before she wins him in the auction and he's you know rocking out on the piano and then yeah. just kind of has this everybody knows him and he kind of goes through and everybody's thanking him and she ends up saying what did you do today and he goes oh <laughs> same old same old <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That scene or when he's on the piano and he's got the sunglasses on 
Columbia, anytime that they had some kind of movie montage where he holds up his fist, like that picture is always in all those like movie <laughs> montages. Oh, you yeah. Know? That always sticks out to me. Any more for you, Gary? I would say the ones where he uh, is going just before the one Tim talked about where he's doing all the stuff throughout the day where he saves the kid from falling out of the, the tree. Mm-hmm. And then he, you know, then he walks over to the restaurant and does the Heimlich maneuver on the, on the right. mayor. And then he goes somewhere else and does this. He's just kind of making his way through town and making sure fixes the you know, all the bad the stuff that car. happens. Yeah. Yeah. All the bad stuff that happens in town. He's like, I might as well fix it. I'm here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Ned punch gets me every yeah. time. <laughs> I always crack up uh, Ned and just the, the choreography of the punch is so great. Yeah. I love, I love like what Gary said about the first meeting, but I love how they start doing all the different versions of it. Like you said, the punch is hilarious, but then the one where he kind of comes on to him and the hug, yeah. kind of saying, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've missed you so much, and yeah, kind of hugging yeah. him and like, <laughs> I don't know what you're doing today, but call in sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, gosh. Oh, there is another thing. There, uh-huh. There's a slapping montage when she slaps him. Rhea slaps uh, Phil when he tries various versions. Yes, yeah. he gets slapped. He gets slapped. He gets slapped. Yeah. I read uh, doing the research, I think he gets slapped like nine or ten times in the whole movie from her. So, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I like, there's a little subtle thing that I like. It's when, uh, when they go into the bar and she orders her drink. Yep. And mm. then, you know, he's uh, figuring out what to toast to and all that. And then once he finally tries her drink, he has this little reaction like, yep. oh my God, this is awful. You know? And then when she looks at him, then he kind of smiles. Yeah, and he like, smiles back like, up. yeah, everything's cool. Uh, I don't know. That, that cracks me up every time too. So. Or when she tells him what her major was in college. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's horrible. What a waste of time. <laughs> what a waste of time. Yeah. That's so that good. would be. <laughs> yeah, for other people, not for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No yeah, fudge. That, no, that drink yeah. scene is hilarious. I We might cover it in the quotes, but I always, that's one of the quotes I use sometimes where I'm like, I wish we could all live in the mountains at high altitude. <laughs> that's where I see myself in five years. <laughs> What do you say about that, Gary? You're up yeah. here. Come on, no, don't come out. Colorado is closed. <laughs> Go to Utah. All right, Karen. So, what are you going to give the award to for your favorite scene? Hmm. The, oh, there's another one I thought of, and I'm trying to figure out how how this. There's another montage where he, he takes the old homeless man mm-hmm. to, I think, the hospital. He says he's going to take him somewhere warm. And he takes him to the hospital and and the old man passes away. And then he tries taking the old man out for soup and he still passes away. Yeah. And I I, I think that is really kind of the the catalyst to where he decides he wants to be a better person for himself, not just to get Rita. Yeah. But uh, the other thing is he kept calling this man things like father and dad and pop and i'm mm-hmm. kind of confused it's like is, is that something that's explained in the deleted scene like uh, i don't think so uh th- there is a deleted scene with the paramedics there's like an extended uh 
extended scene with the paramedics when they come to get him on the street corner when he cover he covers him up with a blanket and then they talk Left about it a little poem bit that he wrote the po- yes that's yeah. right so yeah i don't i don't know uh i don't i don't think that was kind of ever explained but so you have a have a pick probably the slapping montage okay uh, that's good it's fun what about you tim I love the Ned Ryerson scene, but I think I'm going to save his award for one that we come up with a little bit later and uh, go with the one I mentioned earlier at the diner. The first time he tells Rita about mm-hmm. his uh, what's going on with him and That's proves good. for her what's going on. I will throw out the scene where he's just eating everything in sight. Yeah. I love Smoking that a cigarette. <laughs> yeah, he's just I think it's that day like right after. He comes from the uh, the hotel when he realizes that there's no uh, consequences. He goes right to the diner and he's like ordering all that food and just stuffs that whole like piece of cake in his mouth or something <laughs> there. Oh gosh, that cracks me up. What about you, uh, Gary? Favorite? Yeah, scene? I like the I like the Ned scene, but I think I would go with the driving um, with the groundhog scene where he's got the groundhog up on the steering wheel. And, you know, don't drive angry. Don't drive angry. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the scene of the movie even though it's a minor scene, but it's the one that's in all the trailers. It's the one that you kind of go back to when you think of that movie, you think of that scene. Yeah. I'm kind of leaning towards maybe one of those where he's uh, kind of putting things back together. Like you were saying towards the end of the day when he's helping everybody out and just kind of comes full circle, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I like those, those scenes. So I guess I'll give it to just whatever that sequence towards the end of the movie when he's fixing everybody's problems. The next driving award we'll do is our favorite quote or line from the movie. Let's start with Tim. Throw me a, a line. Ooh, I guess uh, going back to my man, Ned, when he goes, watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. It's yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah. I just love his voice. His voice is just great. What about you, Gary? What's one for you? Am I right? Am I right or am I right or am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Right? Am I right? I use that one today. Yeah. I have both of those written down. One of my favorite, again, going back to Rick Ducommon. Oh, just put that anywhere, pal. You know, when they drop the stuff in the diner. Yeah, and they just clap along, you know. I, I don't know. I <laughs> I love that line. Yeah, I like um, some of the ones that I actually repeat a lot. Like one is, um, gosh, you're an upbeat lady. <laughs> 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 He's trying to impress Rita. Um, and then the one, I'm, I'm a god. I'm not the god, mm-hmm. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> Karen, what about you? What's some lines that you enjoy? Uh, when he's on the payphone after they tell him that you know he can't leave town and and there's something about a celebrity in a, or an emergency and he's like, well, I'm I'm both. I'm a celebrity having an emergency. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, that's great. Yeah, there's a couple of scenes where he's on the phone and gets hung up on in this movie. I like the <laughs> I like the line. I think it's right after um, when he's gorging on all the food. And he responds to somebody. He says, morons, your bus is leaving. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's those his, two guys yeah his sarcasm bill murray just i love his sarcasm in every movie probably peter vankman the most but he's got some really good sarcasm in this movie as well yeah some of the conversations he has with uh the guys um gus and ralph and those guys and then he takes them out on that ride and then he's oh. like i'm not gonna follow their rules anymore yeah and he's like driving on railroad tracks yeah those guys are like well, that's what i think we should follow yeah. and then at yeah. the end of that ride he goes you want to throw up here you want to throw up in the car yeah. goes, uh both yeah i think uh both <laughs> Yeah, that was a that was a great sequence. There's some yeah. good good lines with the the local yokels there. What are some other ones you want to nominate? One I've been known to use is when he's at the bar. He tells the bartender, "Can I get another one of these? This time with some booze in it." <laughs> right? Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. I always do the "Okay, campers, rise and shine. Don't yeah. get your booties because it's cold out there." <laughs> what were you gonna say, Karen? The um the gif where it's the me also. I've used that. Oh, yeah. Me, me. Me also. Yeah. I'm really close on this one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I like a little back and forth with uh, it might be after he reveals everything. But Reed asks him, are you drunk? And (laughs) Phil says, no, drunk is more fun. (laughs) (laughs) I like when the piano teacher says, not bad, Mr. Connors. You say this is your first lesson. And then when he goes, yes, but my father was a piano mover. mover so. yeah, that's a great line. That is a great line. And then uh, I, I always, uh, Chris Elliott, uh, what, what the heck is his name in the movie? Uh, Larry. 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 Yeah. yeah. Prima Donnas. Yeah. yeah. I'll say that in a passing to, to somebody that's just, you know, grandstanding or something at work. Prima Donnas. Yeah. Did he just call himself the talent? <laughs> I like that one too. Or when yeah. he said, when she goes, why would anybody steal a groundhog? Yeah, <laughs> and goes, I can think of a few reasons. Pervert. pervert. Yeah. yeah He's got some good lines. I also just wrote down Bing. You know, bing. have you ever went Bing? You know, after yep. somebody gets something, oh Bing. You know, <laughs> Bing again. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tim, what you gonna give it to your favorite line? Oh man. Um come back to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what say you, Gary? Oh man, we just threw out so many, it's hard to pick. I'm gonna go yeah. with um I guess I'll go with the watch your first step. It's a doozy. I say mm-hmm. that to my kids all the time when they trip. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm gonna pick the uh am I right or am I right? Where am I right? Because I, I use that a lot as well with the kids. What about you, Karen? Uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna. I, I think I'm gonna go with the the ones that step that to doozy. <laughs> doozy. Yeah. You got a point, and you got to go down oh, with your pointer when finger. When he says, you. "When he says, I sure as heck fire remember you." <laughs> yeah. That's, heck that's fire. the one that I was thinking of before, and I couldn't quite get get it. And, such language. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I'm good. I'm good giving the award to one of those. Okay. Because uh, <laughs> he's going to get my award for the next one, too. So. <laughs> okay. So we know uh, Tim's nomination for Who Stole the Show in a Minor Role, Mr. Uh, Ned Ryerson. <laughs> Gary, is there one 
other outside of uh, Ned that you would nominate? Uh, outside of Ned, maybe the mayor. Um, for his name, Bill Murray's brother. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's super minor, but he's always kind of funny. He's he's a character actor in just about everything. He always yeah. he's just kind of funny in everything that he does. Just kind of the looks on his faces, mm-hmm. his, his mannerisms, and things like that. So I'd give it to him. <laughs> okay, I would definitely nominate the two locals in the restaurant <laughs> yeah. and at the bowling alley and in the <laughs> car. You know, they're just they're so much fun. Uh, there is an extended like bowling scene that we'll get to, but I love it when they're at the bowling alley. And if you had the same day over and over again, you know, and <laughs> you could do anything or whatever, what would you do or something? And the guy's like, yep, that about sums it up for me. You know, <laughs> he's, he's already living the dream. He's already you know? living that life. Yeah. And there's, you know, the, the whole, yeah, the whole scene in the car and when they first walk out and, he's like uh look at me can you drive okay you're good you know whatever and throws him in the car and then he does he uh rick's character gets in and backs up the car and back to the front and he's like i don't think i should be driving (laughs) so i don't know i just like the whole interaction with all three of them flapjacks that's that yeah that's another yeah too early for flapjacks too early for yeah that's another scene when he smashes the car and we'll have uh, three burgers, two fries and, and flapjacks. Oh yeah. Too early for flapjacks. You know? <laughs> That's so great. Anyway, I like those two guys, so I yep. would definitely nominate them. Uh, Karen, would you have a nomination for minor role? Yeah. I, I, I also um, went with Brian Doyle Murray, uh, Buster. Um, and Buster. anytime he's in a movie, I pay close attention to his characters. Uh, Buster here, uh, Noah Vanderhoff, the arcade chain yeah. owner in Wayne's World. Um, I he's just always one. good. And <laughs> I like his voice. He he just has that really rough sounding, yeah, yeah, you know, I, yeah. authoritative he's voice. Instantly recognizable. And he's also the butthole boss in Christmas Vacation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, so, Carl. Uh, <laughs> Clark, sir. Yeah. Um, any other nominations you want to throw out there? I think uh, the Tim is leaning towards Ned here. Yeah, you right? might have to throw Phil in there, Puxatani Phil, just because you know, <laughs> oh, it's no. about him. Yeah, I would probably nominate Larry too, because Larry, yeah, he's got some great lines. You know, he's he's more grounded in reality, I guess. And then one of my favorite things is after uh bill murray sold at the bachelor auction he jumps up there and does this little <laughs> yeah. turn you know and goes for two bits sold two bits. for 25 cents yeah <laughs> and he looks out to the audience he's like oh no yeah he's hoping nancy would bid on him i got him, I got him. yeah he's kind of like flexing a little bit yeah yeah oh gosh he i think he was great but uh what are you going to give the award to there tim Mine goes to Ned Ryerson for sure. Gary. Bing, Ned Ryerson. Yeah, it's <laughs> we put some nominations out there, but he definitely stole the show with what he had, in my yeah. opinion. Karen, would you agree? Yeah, yeah, it would be Ned. Although I will say I was surprised to see um the late Willie Garson was um Phil's assistant at the beginning of the movie. Oh, I almost okay. didn't recognize him. If 
if I didn't have um, the x-ray um, thing on my Amazon, I wouldn't have known it was him. Gotcha. I, ha- I have used that before, too. Like, who's this guy? And then you just pause the movie, and there they all are. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Okay. Uh, MVP of the movie. Would you uh, give it to anybody but Bill Murray? I don't no, think I don't. so. Yeah. yeah. It be Bill Murray. So I think we're all in agreement. We'll give him uh, the MVP award for the movie. And uh, like I said, the, the ups and downs, and we'll get into a little bit more of uh, his role in a little bit, but uh, there are some other people that were considered for the role that we'll talk about, but I think he was, uh, he was perfect there. Okay. Well, we are at our intermission. <laughs> finally, <laughs> it feels like a, a long, uh, long first half. I wanted to just ask you guys for our intermission question here. Is there a particular day in your life that you would like to live out over and over and over again? And I'll let anybody start that wants to jump in there. All right. I'll say no. (laughs) (laughs) I've had lots of good days. I've had lots of bad days, but I think if you, for me, if you relive that same good day over and over again, it could get just, it, it might lose its luster for being that good one good day. And for sure, I have no desire to relive any of the bad days. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, I would probably agree with you to that. Even the best day might even lose its luster after a while. I was going to say, like, other than, like, birth of a child or... I don't want to marriage, see that again. Marriage <laughs> date <or> Same way. <laughs> any of those kind of things. Um, I've seen three. I don't need to see it anymore. <laughs> yeah. I had a day where it was actually out in Colorado. We were there on a road trip with some friends, and we just had an awesome day where we went whitewater rafting, and we went ATVing through a mountain, and then we went to my friend's house who had a house built into the side of a mountain, and we sat out on grilled out and sat outside all night and it was just uh one of those perfect days and good friends and good times and stuff that was probably one of my favorite days that Mm -hmm. i've had other than like i said family related stuff um so if i had to pick a day that would probably be the day that i would go with but you karen um maybe my senior prom um, I talk about this on my hot tag episode with Kevin, mm-hmm. uh, but I would stuff a bunch of extra feminine hygiene products in my purse and give them to the girl in our party who got surprised while wearing a light peach dress. Oh no. Oh no. Um, and that way we wouldn't have to leave early while we were still having fun. <laughs> so you're going back and kind of fixing, fixing yeah, yeah. the problem. Yeah. Fixing it and making it a, a little nicer for her. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, I was trying to think about this, Gary. I'm with you. I'm like, you know, there's the answers that come to mind, like the birth of your kids and your wedding day and all that. There's so much stress that goes into a wedding leading up (laughs) to that. And, you know, obviously the reception and all that once it's over is nice, but it's very was very stressful. So I'm like, I don't, you know, no offense to my wife. uh, And I'm grateful she has given birth to three kids. But yeah, uh, (laughs) She was all tripping <laughs> anyway on uh, whatever they were giving her as far as drugs. Like the first one, she's like, uh, don't forget, we've got bananas on top of the refrigerator at home. You've got to eat those before they go bad. I'm like, who are you talking to? 
just deliver the baby, you know? And so she got a little weird. Uh, so at those days, and that was a long day when my daughter was born, she uh, went into labor on my birthday and it was like the next day it was, it was like, I don't know, 36 hours later. That was a very, very long day. But anyway, I, I, this might be a, uh, a very uneventful answer. I would just love to go back and be a kid again in the eighties. Just give me a, a time, a day, a random day. It doesn't matter that I'm in my childhood home that I can go visit my friends. Mom can drop us off at the mall. I can go play a little league game, you know, whatever. I just want to be a kid again for a while. Maybe not for however many years that he was stuck in punks and tawny, you know, like in the movie, but <laughs> I, I've always like thought if I ever had a time machine, I would just go back to some random day in the eighties and explore everything over again. You know, good answer. Good answer. Can't so. be random though. You'll end up like in a tornado or something. In your <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <son of> a... <laughs> blizzard, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Nice summer day. Random <laughs> blizzard comes through. Yeah. Summer day with a ball in the backyard, you know, whatever that kind of a thing, riding my bike to the candy store. Yeah. That's what I want to do again over and over. Okay. Well, let's uh, keep going on with our feature presentation here. And let's just ask, was this Bill Murray's best role uh, in his whole career? So of all the, the Bill Murray movies that you've watched, where would you put uh, Phil Connors in your list there? What do you say, uh, Karen? I would put it in the top three with um, Ghostbusters and Scrooge. And yeah. Although... I'm Caddyshack. <laughs> There's a lot of really good, really good lines in Caddyshack, and um, and the way he talks in Caddyshack. Yeah, very interesting character. Yeah, I'm probably there with you. I think definitely top five. Uh-huh. Um, I would still put Peter Venkman as my number one for Bill Murray. I just love his whole character, and that he's my favorite Ghostbuster. So I'm probably putting that number one, but I think this role is definitely in the top five, somewhere in there with like the ones that you were saying. Uh, Gary, what do you say? Yeah, I'd put it up there with uh, probably with Ghostbusters. This is one of the last Bill Murray movies I think I've seen. I haven't seen any of the stuff he's made in the 2000s and very few in the 90s after this one. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but um, I think this one he had a good, like, Ghostbusters, he was good and he was funny, but he was kind of sort of the same the whole way through. This one, he's got a good like character arc from at the right. beginning when he's trying to pick up Rita. It's kind of, you know, it's like, ugh, this guy's kind of disgusting. <laughs> he's like yeah. cringe. And cringe worthy. Nancy. Yeah. And then and then uh, you know, he has his transformation and becomes a better person. And and he's got some pretty good acting. I mean, he's a pretty good actor when he's not doing his, you know, ridiculous comedy stuff that's always funny to watch. So this is definitely a top one for me. What do you say, Tim? Yeah, I kind of agree with what you guys said. I think um, this showed a kind of a broader range for him, even though he was still really funny and had a lot of his one-liners and, and kind of that kind of thing. He still showed, a, like Gary was saying, a little broader character range. Um, and he came off as kind of a credible romantic lead in a in the movie as well, which is not something really expected from him. So I think it really helped start to broaden him and do some different things. And like you mentioned earlier, 
would change some of the roles he would take on going forward a little bit by by that. But I still I would agree. I, to me, Ghostbusters is probably his his best character, best role. I love Stripes, Scrooge, Caddyshack, obviously, but I would say this is right up there after at least Ghostbusters. But those yeah, ones. yeah, and he's got the benefit of doing two Ghostbusters. That, you know, the same character in both movies, and there's some lines and some scenes in Ghostbusters Two that I just love as well. Like when he's taking the the photograph of Vigo in the museum and <laughs> doing the whole posing thing. Yeah destroy me whatever he says yeah. <laughs> you know i just little subtle things like that the, the comedy stuff that i like but i think you might have sold me on on putting phil at number two because you're right i mean there's just such a wide range here and such an arc from well like i said there's some there's some things we'll uh, get into that shows his progression throughout the movie and how they wrote him uh, in the script, but very much a wider range here and having that rom-com kind of angle that you probably wouldn't expect. There's that too. So, okay. Um, what about Andy McDowell? Cause I, like I said, I haven't seen many of her movies. I think Gary, you said the same. So I would say, yes, this is her best role just because <laughs> it's the most well-known for me, but is there any other movies that you might suggest that uh, y'all have seen? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, I don't know if it's her best role from like a critical standpoint, but I definitely think it's probably her favorite role. I always remember her for whatever reason from St. Elmo's Fire as uh, the doctor that that Emilio Estevez's character was obsessed with. Um, uh -huh. And I know we mentioned some of her other roles. Um, Multiplicity is kind of an underrated movie that mm -hmm. also Harold Ramis directed. And uh, she does well in that one as too but i would say mm -hmm. this one to me would be did you like favorite. her in magic mike tim i didn't see xxl <laughs> <laughs> oh just the first one <laughs> i just saw the first one and uh that was enough for me the second one's a lot more fun the, the first one is really depressing <laughs> i we i i went with a group of girls to see the first one in a theater and we left depressed. It was not, it was not what the trailers showed us. Yeah. The second one was what the trailers promised. Interesting. Okay. Uh, you still haven't sold me on watching it, but uh, <laughs> I'll take your word okay. for it. Karen. Your wives might enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. It's got Matthew McConaughey in it. So my wife's all in on that. Oh gosh. Yeah. The second one doesn't have Matthew McConaughey in it, but it does have Donald Glover and uh, Joe Manganiello. Yeah, second one's fun. Okay. All right. Well, this uh, movie, we always ask, was it uh, Bill Murray's biggest moneymaker? And it wasn't. It was actually number 16 overall. His top five of just movies that he's appeared in are actually Jungle Book at number one, where he uh, voiced uh, Blue, is it? Blue. The, the, the bear? Yeah. <laughs> then Ghostbusters. Then Tootsie. Get Smart. <laughs> Which I had forgot oh, wow. he had a role in that. And then uh, the 2016 Ghostbusters. As a lead role, his top five are Jungle Book, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, which I don't know if I'd call that a lead, those movies, but they're all kind of a more of an ensemble. But Stripes and then The Monuments Men, which I have not seen. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, it's a World War II movie. They try and save all the um, artwork and stuff like that from the Nazis. 
Okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive into some casting what ifs here. For the role of Phil Connors, Chevy Chase, Tom Hanks, and Michael Keaton were all considered. Uh, actually, Tom Hanks was Harold Ramis's first choice, but he uh, rejected the offer. He was rationalizing that he was uh, typecast more as portraying uh, nice people, and the audience would expect his inevitable redemption. Whereas Bill Murray was, quote, such a miserable son of a bitch <laughs> on and off screen. Uh, wow. Okay. That the outcome would be less predictable. So I, I would kind of agree with him there. Okay. I don't know if I'd call him an SOB, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Murray has that personality that the, he can be very polarizing. Either you love him or you hate him. And, you know, going into a movie like this and the way he starts out, you're thinking, okay, where is this movie going to go? So it w- I, I would agree with that, that. It's probably a little less predictable with him as the role. Michael Keaton said that the role was a wry, sardonic, glib character and was a typical role for him, but he simply didn't understand the film. And he later confessed that he regrets passing on the role. So it's funny because like you were saying, Karen, it might've been the next movie that Harold Ramis did was Multiplicity with Mm -hmm. Michael Keaton and uh, Andy McDowell. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. The, the first writer of the script, Ruben, wanted Kevin Klein for the part, believing Murray did not have the necessary acting ability, but Harold Ramis actually stepped up for Bill Murray saying, don't worry, this is what Bill Murray can do. He can be that nasty and still make you like him type of actor. So, And then producer Trevor Albert auditioned comedians for the role of Rita, but determined that someone vying with Murray at comedy would be detrimental to the film. So... Rita was not intended to trade kind of witty comments with Phil, but instead offer human warmth and intelligence is what he was saying here. So uh, McDowell was cast because she was thought of bringing an effortless grace suited to Rita's character. And she tried to adapt to Murray's natural improvisation in the scenes. She believed the character's humor comes from her more or less her honesty instead of being outlandish like him which I thought was a, a pretty good insight there. Singer Tori Amos was considered for the role. And I don't know if she had any acting credits. I haven't even looked to see if she has any acting credits, but I thought that was kind of out of left field there to fill that role. Yeah. I don't think she'd have done well in that. Maybe. So any, uh, anybody else you could see as, uh, as Phil Connors. I kind of wonder what Robin Williams would have done with the role. Hmm. You know, he's got some, just going back through even his 90s movies, even if you look at like Mrs. Doubtfire and uh, Patch Adams, roles like that, that's, it is comedy, but there's some very serious parts in, you know, at points. I could see that, you know, the kind of up and down of, well, Robin Williams (laughs) as 10 levels of outlandish above Bill Murray, but (laughs) at the same point, I I like that pick because I think he's a very versatile actor or was yeah, he won the actor Oscar and uh, for his dramatic role in Goodwill hunting. That's right. Anybody else you guys would plug in there? The other one I was thinking of was John Travolta hmm. before we were talking about the Andy McDowell movies. And one of the other Andy, uh, movies that I like that has Andy McDowell in it 
is Michael with John Travolta, where he plays the Archangel Michael. Oh and yeah, I have seen that. Oh, yeah, he, so he smells like 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 cookies. <laughs> <laughs> My mom had the uh, single of the Eric Clapton song that went with that movie. Uh, Change the world, yeah. Oh no, that was phenomenon. Oh no, that that's right, that was phenomenon. They came out around the same time. Yeah, I always get those two out. like mixed up. He's the angel yeah. in that one, and the other one, he's like got some weird like psychic powers or something, right? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so I, I get those two mixed up. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know that that might could work. I was thinking maybe Chevy Chase could have worked there. He's more the I don't know dad role and uh, just uh, the low parts. I don't I don't really see him doing too much of the low stuff. But a lot of people say he's a butthole on scene too. So uh, <laughs> maybe he would have fit in there. Who knows? Okay, well let's uh, let's just jump in here to we got a couple more segments to get through to finish out our drive in. And the next one is uh, any unanswered questions or flaws. Uh, like Karen said, any deleted scenes that might have helped some things? What kind of sticks out to you as you're watching the movie that this just bugs me? You know, you guys have any of those, Tim? I always try to suspend that kind of disbelief a little bit to uh, try to enjoy the movies. So I try not to pick them apart too much because especially in a movie like this, you could question a lot of stuff like um, if he's reliving the same day all over, how does he end up in? To be at the exact same place at the same time, it means he would have to leave his room right. at the exact right. same time and all that kind of stuff. I and, think about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's like some of that. Or one is uh, just that the alarm clock keeps going off at 6 a.m. and it's light outside when, you know, at 6 a.m. in February, it's that not light north. outside. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Those types of little things like that. And then also, like, kind of unrelated, I always just curious, like, did they film those scenes all on the same day or all the scenes in one area where they just kind of did the repetition? Did they do that all at the same time or did they kind of come back and redo scenes later? That kind of stuff. Or From what I've read, I'm pretty sure that's the way that it happened. They did uh, actually the very beginning of the movie where he's in the, the TV station and the studio and all that, they decided to plug that in and go with that as the opening uh, at the very end of filming. So that was like the lot, one of the last things that they filmed. <laughs> I was wondering how many, how many takes they did. Like, so when he comes up to Rita in the bar and says, you know, let me buy you a drink and then orders his drink and, and does their thing day two, he comes up and says, let me buy you a drink. And, but there's no cuts in that scene. It's just those two talking. Mm-hmm. So, and then the the end dialogue is different because he orders a different drink. So, do they go through that whole spiel every time on the <laughs> on the take? Because there's no way they can like cut the scene and you know have the first two minutes just pre recorded and then yeah. cut the scene and have him redo the the order. So it's like how many times do they film the same scene with only two words at the end changed? Or like when he's meeting Ned Ryerson and doing all those different variations, did they do those all on the same day where he just kept going to Ned and doing something different each time and yeah. stepping in the pothole and getting his leg all wet and then having to change pants to another pair of dry <laughs> pants and do the scene again? And like that's the kind of stuff that goes through my head when I'm thinking, like, how did 
how did they put that all together? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like the movie had its own gag reel embedded in it, just mm-hmm. from all the different versions of the scenes that they did. Yeah. And you wonder, with Bill Murray being such a big improv guy, how many times those things were improv or a, a right. version of it was done a little bit different and they they kept what they improv. Yeah. And the other thing is when he's trying to, um, I guess, date Rita toward the end there and getting to know her and, you know, falling in love with her. So we don't really know how long he's trapped in this like groundhog day. Presumably it's years. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has all this time to get to know Rita and know her, you know, what she likes and what he likes about her. And, but she only has potentially 12 hours <laughs> of one day to get to like him. And so by the end of this day, he's like, you know, I love you, but he's had years or weeks to fall in love with right. her. And she's had 12 hours and she's like, I love you too. Like, really? <laughs> I don't think it works like that, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe she's a romantic and all this, all the stuff that he's, that he did to uh, impress yeah. her or like her just rubbed off on her. I don't know. In the director's commentary, the first one that was actually on the DVD that I have, Harold Ramis says that he thinks it was about 10 years that he was there. That's right. But then I've seen some stuff since then where they estimated more like 30 plus years based on how long it would take to get good at all the things he got good at and all the skills and things that he picked up along right. the way and memorizing so that, things that would have taken more like 30 years worth of time to do all the things he did. So that so. raises another question is, so he's there even 10 years and then he falls in love with her and then they wake up the next day. So if, if 10 years passed, like what is like, what is his mom doing back in Pittsburgh or is, you know, whoever back in Pittsburgh, are they now 10 years older or did time stop for everybody while he's in this loop? Yeah, I think time stops for everybody else. Yeah, it's kind of like everybody's in there, but they don't. <laughs> I, they, I apparently they don't realize it too. I mean, that's a good point that if everybody their mind is wiped at the reset and his isn't. I mean, that's kind of weird. That's why, like, one of the things that bothers me a little bit more than others is at the very end when he's rocking out on the piano and the piano teacher goes, "Hey, that's my student." that would mean he would have had to go to her for a piano lesson that day because that's the only day that right. anybody knew him. But if he was that good already, why would he still be why would he even go there? Yeah. Piano <laughs> lesson that day, yeah. like those type I, of things. But I don't, I, like I said, I really try not to think that cause I love the movie so much. I don't want to. Yeah. You can much. really, like I said, this is a movie that makes you think. And mm. I kind of go through that too, where that when they're filming the scenes and, you would think maybe that they would say say their uh, lines the same way or something, but how difficult is it to film? You know, like four or five takes, trying to be in the same position and delivering the same lines in this, you know, the same way. And you got to kind of just check out your mind to stuff like that and just kind of enjoy the movie, like you said. But yeah, I wrote down here as far as unanswered questions is the duration of Phil's entrapment in this time loop and Ramus, like you said said it took place over 10 years he replies that it takes at least 10 years to become good at an activity like ice sculpting or (laughs) uh 
speaking French, maybe not 10 years, but uh, probably a good year. There's some uh, stats out there that say you need 10,000 hours of study to like become a master at something, which is about a year's worth of time. And given the number of loops seen and what's mentioned on screen there of how long Phil could spend per day studying something, there's an estimate out there that says it could have been 34 years. The uh, original script says that Phil estimates himself that he's been trapped for 70 or 80 years. <laughs> that seems crazy to be that long, but uh, they've actually counted it out. And there's about 38 days depicted in the film, either partially or in full. So I'll throw one more in there of not, uh-huh. of not suspending disbelief. So he's in Huxatawney which is a small town. I don't know the exact population, but it's small. And at the end there, um, one of the ladies says, oh, thank you, Dr. Phil or Dr. Connor for fixing my husband's back because yeah. now he yeah. can do dishes. So you're telling me in Puxatani, he's able to find someone who speaks fluent French and, he, and then he learns it himself. <laughs> Somehow he becomes a doctor. And this is all pre-internet days, so you can't look it up online and study that way. He becomes a doctor somehow in this small little town. Uh, I guess you, you found the piano teacher. Um, There's yeah, how, did, how did he, where did he find all of the knowledge? I know he's reading yeah. books at some point, but you can't really read a book to learn French. So like, how did he get all this knowledge to, uh, to learn in a small little town like this? In the, there is a deleted scene where he's staring at an x-ray and looking through like a, some kind of medical journal, which I, I guess ties into the back fixing problem. Yeah. So then you got to uh, have one heck of a uh, library in this small yeah, little town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And get to a point where you can kind of sneak in a hospital or whatever to find people to learn from. And, yeah. and uh, you know, there's a whole can of worms there too. One thing that always bugged me was uh, the end shot where they have to jump over the, the gate as they're going out of the hotel. And, uh, I, I read that the, it was just frozen shut. They couldn't open it. So they had to climb over it. I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. But I just thought it was always like, why are they jumping over the gate? I don't know. Didn't, didn't make sense. But there are some other deleted scenes out there. There's a scene where Phil is uh, hustling a couple of guys at the pool hall. Uh, and then at the bowling alley, there's an extended scene before he's talking to the two guys there where he bowls a perfect game. He bowled three perfect games. Three, yeah, three 300 yeah. games oh, in a row. Yeah. So <laughs> there's some stuff like that that I think I'm glad it's out because that's a little too much. You know, there's professional bowlers that have only bowled a perfect game, you know, once or twice, but three, I mean, that's, right. a, <laughs> that's a little over the top to me, you know, for explaining that. The pool hall scene, there's a part that kind of reminds me like a little bit back to like Back to the Future where the guys start talking about sports betting and he basically starts rattling off all the games. That oh, night. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'll take them plus five and I'll take them by this because <laughs> he knows all the, yeah. the game scores. All right. Well, let's get on to we got two more uh, sections here. How about the next incarnation of the film? What would you say about that? Karen, like, uh, would you like to see a sequel or maybe a reboot or uh, some kind of Netflix series? I think it stands on its own pretty well. And the way that they, I mean, we talked earlier about the whole thing where 
Ramis and Murray were battling over, you know, mm-hmm. romantic comedy versus the philosophical angle. And the movie that they ended up making, they ended up balancing everything really well. And sometimes you have like the whole lightning in a bottle thing where everything involved, you know, all the participants, all the factors just line up mm-hmm. and make things like just right. And I'm not sure they could they could replicate something like that mm-hmm. that easily. There was something I heard last week. Um, Gen X Grown Up did Groundhog Day, and they um, John on there talked about how they um, were thinking about at one point doing an ending where Rita goes through yeah the um, day her own loop. And they decided against it because it would take away from who she was as a character. Because as you go through the movie, you get to see her, you, you get to see more depth in her, even though she's it's stuck in his him. Yeah. And he's living yeah. his day over and over again. You see different facets of her. Yeah, I did read that. And I think they were considering a sequel, but they decided against it. I'm not sure if that was what they had in their mind, but there was, yeah, there was some little twist at the end of the movie too, that they were thinking about filming where basically the roles reverse and Phil completes his day and then she's stuck. Yeah. So, and some things are just kind of best left unsaid, you know, Mm -hmm. like how he, I think the uh, original script and writer were more into well, how did this happen? And trying to explain that a little bit more. And that might be something you'd have to kind of open that up, I think, to do uh, maybe a, a sequel or, or a, a movie nowadays where somebody gets stuck in a loop and maybe Phil has written a book about his experience <laughs> oh. and how he thinks to break the spell or something, you know, you, I think you just really got to get into that magical aspect of it, or even like you say, philosophical aspect yeah. more to do a, a direct sequel to this movie. So yeah. I think you... the deep commercial was perfect. <laughs> the way yeah, they that was that... enough. That was really, yeah. It, it was very satisfying. Yeah. It was just like, it was almost like uh, deleted scenes or something from the movie or whatever that uh, he just started filming over again. Or, you know, he's, this is another, another day that he went through or something, you know, this time he's got a Jeep though. (laughs) And and the director and um, one of the minor cast members have already passed away. So if you start production on something and you need, you know, like Ned Ryerson Mm -hmm. to to tie it, you know, mm-hmm. for the callback and God forbid something happens to that guy. Yeah. You can't bring somebody else in to play him. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to work. Yeah. You can't bring somebody else in to play Brian Doyle Murray. You can have a different groundhog puppet. That's fine and dandy, but you can't replace Andy McDowell. You can't replace Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. You can't replace Brian Doyle Murray. You can't replace... Stephen Stephen T uh, yeah. or the waitress or any of those other people. It, 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 yeah, it, it's just it, got to be a whole new setting. I I would think as well. It's hard to a, capture that moment again. Characters. Yeah. Yeah, and you probably wouldn't be able to call it Groundhog Day. So, no. <laughs> 
Anyway, what do you guys think, Tim, Gary? I'd say just leave it alone. It To me, it stands the test of time the way it is, and it probably doesn't need anything more. If anything would ever be done, to me, it would have to be revolving around Bill Murray still. Um, so if he wasn't involved, it wouldn't be worth it. But I, I don't think anything's needed. Just enjoy it for what it is. Okay. Yeah, I would kind of agree with that. I don't think a reboot would work in the internet cell phone age. Um, a sequel, you could take a sequel into a dark direction and see what the day after is like. He just spent 10 to 70 years reliving one day <laughs> and getting everything perfect and having all these redos of everything. And now uh-huh. he's just living day to day, making mistakes that he can't correct. So does he Gosh, like go into yeah. a deep, dark depression because, oh man, I just said something wrong to my wife and now she's mad at me and I can't go back and fix it, you know, the way I could go back and fix it. Or, you know, I, it, it'd be interesting to see what his life is like if he's still happy or if he goes just into like this weird downward just depression spiral. You need to be in like R&D there, Gary. You got <laughs> some good ideas. I mean, that's just uh, just to think about that next day, like you said, with the not being able to go back and relive it over or, you know, you'd be in such a mode of, Oh, I can just do this again tomorrow yeah. and try it a different way. And you can't do that in real life. So. And it's all it, about it's the pursuit for so long. Like his goal was just to, to get her and all that. And now that he has her, it's like, okay, now what do I do? Right. <laughs> right. Go back to your uh, station. Are you still a prima Donna wanting to go to the, uh, <laughs> Home shopping network, like Larry says, or whatever. I don't know. That would be <laughs> weird. Your network. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we've got one more segment for you guys. So uh, this is our Did You Know Facts. And I've got a few here. So you can sit back and uh, react to these. So the premiere of Groundhog Day took place on February 4th, 1993 at the Fox Theater in Westwood, Los Angeles. Murray did not attend the event. And... Uh, other guests that actually did, Rodney Dangerfield was there, Catherine O'Hara. Second premiere took place the following day in Crystal Lake, Illinois, which was followed by an auction of the props and actually some signed equipment from the film. And all the proceeds were donated to the Woodstock School District. I thought that was interesting. So if you were lucky enough to attend that premiere, you might still have some props uh, hanging up somewhere from the movie. Did you know, shortly after the film's release, author Richard A. Lumphoff threatened legal action against the filmmakers, alleging the film copied his short story, 12.01 p.m., and uh, its associated 1990 short film adaptation about a man stuck in a time loop. The case was never formally filed, and as the film production company refused to support the legal action, also, Leo Arden also attempted uh, legal action, claiming the film was a copy of one that he had unsuccessfully pitched to Columbia Pictures about a man repeating April 15th, tax day. (laughs) (laughs) That's Uh, a nightmare. (laughs) But the judge ruled against him in his lawsuits. So there was two lawsuits right after the film was released. Did you know that while filming the kidnapping Phil scene, Bill Murray spontaneously improvised the line, don't drive angry, don't drive angry, to cover the fact that the groundhog, which he was holding on his lap, was agitated and trying to escape by climbing over the steering wheel. 
<laughs> and a moment later, the groundhog bit Bill Murray's hand so badly Ooh. he had to have an anti-rabies injections. <laughs> so Phil the uh, groundhog was not so friendly. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, did you know in the original version of the script, Phil Connors was already trapped inside Groundhog Day at the start of the story. We joined him on a typical day with the audience wondering how he knew everything that was going to happen. So Harold Ramis promised not to change that aspect about the script, but ultimately decided to do so. So it started out a whole different way. Like he was already stuck and you're trying to figure out what the heck's going on. Why is he stuck there instead of the filming in the kind of lead up to going to Punxsutawney that they did film Harold Ramis and uh, Danny Rubin, considered including an explanation for Phil being stuck in the time loop. One of the possibilities included Phil have been cursed by a scorned lover or someone he had verbally abused. They decided it was best to leave it a mystery, which I agree that they did the right thing there. I always wondered about the song, the, the weatherman song that plays at the opening and closing credits. I had never really looked that up before, but it was co-written by, composer George Fenton, who worked and did the music for the, the score for the film, and Harold Ramis. And it was performed by singer-songwriter Delbert McClinton, who's uh, mainly in the blues uh, genre, actually won several Grammy Awards, not for that song, but during his uh, career. So Harold Ramis helped to write that song. Prediction show Did you know in the course of the film, Phil Connors endures Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages? So he goes through denial, he goes through anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. And Harold Ramis said Danny Rubin actually took her model of the five stages of death and dying and used that as the template for his progress throughout the movie. So they had that laid out there as they're writing the script and what his stages that he goes through during the movie. I thought that was interesting. Uh, <laughs> did you know, originally Phil Connors was supposed to hunt down the groundhog in his lair. <laughs> However, <laughs> this was changed since it seemed to be too much like Caddyshack. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Uh, did you know a scene was shot in which Phil destroys his room? He slashes his pillows, spray painting the walls, etc. He also shaves his head. And then the camera pulls back from his face to show that his hair and the room were back to normal the next morning. But uh, Harold Ramis had trouble making the dissolving shot. So the scene was changed to Phil just breaking that pencil instead on top of the clock, you know, <laughs> wakes up the next day and it's back together. I'm um, glad they didn't damage that quote. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Stephen Tobolowsky, of course, Ned Ryerson, was an honorary Grand Marshal in Punxsutawney on February 2nd, 2010. And during his speech on stage, he actually performed the Whistling Belly Button Act, which he <laughs> refers to in the film. I wonder if that's awesome. on YouTube. 
Gotta find that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know the uh, penultimate encounter between Phil and Ned? Uh, Bill Murray was ad libbing when he tells Ned, "I don't, I don't know where you're headed, but uh, can you call in sick?" <laughs> Which he causes Ned to run away. So that was ad lib. I'm sure there's a lot of this movie that was ad lib. The uh, the drink, her favorite drink, Rita's sweet vermouth with a twist. This was actually Harold Ramis's idea because it's his wife's favorite drink. That's how that ended up in there. The ice sculptures featured in the movie were carved by Randy Rupert, a.k.a. the Chainsaw Wizard. Randy is actually a Punxsutawney resident and has a shop downtown, and he can be found in the city park every Groundhog Day carving and selling his wood sculptures. So... The guy that did all those, you can uh, meet him if you visit Punksy. <laughs> the scene where Bill Murray gets out of the news van and talks to the state trooper was filmed on the Amstutz Expressway under the Grand Avenue overpass just outside of Wacogan, Illinois. This was the same expressway that was used for filming the big chase scene in the Blues Brothers. Hmm. few more here. When Phil takes the uh, elderly man to the hospital and talks to the nurse, a boy with a broken leg can be seen in the background. This is the same kid that fell out of the tree later in the film. Only this time, Phil catches him. Did you catch that? <laughs> you cool. never thank me. <laughs> <laughs> you never thank Yeah. The song that greets Bill Murray every morning, I Got You, Babe, by Sonny and Cher. That was in the original script. Uh, these last two here were, were my favorites. Okay, so supposedly, y'all know who Paul Lind is. You know, yes. the Halloween, Halloween special. Uh, he was the inspiration for the film's high-speed chase scene there through the, uh, the downtown when they crashed the car. Uh, apparently, Blind, after a high-speed chase scene through the San Fernando Valley one night, he was driving recklessly while intoxicated. Lynn crashed his car into a mailbox, which we see that in the film. The police came to the car, guns drawn, and he lowered his window and says, I'll have a cheeseburger, hold the onions, and a large Sprite. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, uh, that's where they got that whole line and sequence from. <laughs> a real-life experience. And finally, I'm such the numbers guy. This just blew my mind. So the winning bid for Phil Connors in the Bachelor auction is $339.88, which... I assume that kind of bugged me too. Is that she's just giving away the rest of the money in her banking account there? I know. <laughs> she's like, right. Yeah, it's a weird number. $339.88, an amount that seems arbitrary, but there is an interesting coincidence. If the decimals dropped, 33,988 days works out to precisely 93 years and 43 days. Now, if you start at January 1st, 1900, not counting leap days, and you go 93 years and 43 days into the future, you'll be at February 12th, 1993, the day that Groundhog Day was released in theaters. I thought that was just crazy. I'm such a stat person, and that kind of blew my mind. And whoever thought of that, you're a freaking genius. I thank you. I thank you. Why would you uh, even calculate that? I know. That guy had a lot of time people, on his hand. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he might be stuck in his own time loop, but I don't know. People just take <laughs> random things out of films like that and try to come up with stuff. Like, is there a hidden meaning behind this? And I don't know. I thought that was, was pretty great. So that's it. That's all for uh, Groundhog Day. 
Uh, we'll now roll the credits as we say. We thank you for visiting the Retro Network Drive-In and hope you will subscribe to the feed in your favorite podcast app. And just a reminder, if you use Apple or Spotify now, you can leave us a rating. So while you're listening, we would appreciate you doing that. Thanks to my co-host tonight for joining me. Thanks to Karen. Karen, you are uh, Karen Flieger 8 right, on uh, Twitter? Yes. And is it the same on Instagram now? No, Instagram is... Karen Bridget over there, maybe? Yes. With some sevens? <laughs> I'm trying to remember yes. off the top of my head. Anyway. Karen Bridget uh, triple seven. Triple seven on Instagram. That's where you can find her. Tim is at Old School 80s on Twitter. That's where he hangs out the most. And you can see lots of great stuff uh, every day over there as he's doing his... Uh, anniversaries and birthdays and uh lots of great features too let's see what was the most recent one the the bears the top bears of the 80s yes on the retro network that was a fun one and then gary at my high samurai just on twitter we found out last time still banned on instagram (laughs) (laughs) thank you for joining us as well thanks for having me and uh of course you can find me at tier and social twitter instagram facebook Leave any thoughts you have about Groundhog Day, and we'd love to continue the conversation over there on social media. Tag us all in that and uh, tell us your, your thoughts as you're listening to the podcast. But that is all. We thank you for joining us at the drive-in. We hope to see you right back here for our next movie. Good night, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.